Lifetime, the official athletic country club of the Minnesota Vikings, has something for every member of your family. Get your family going today at lifetime.life forward slash kids. This will be the first time since 2007 the Vikings have not begun the season with a running back on the roster who has made a Pro Bowl as a ball carrier before. You have a great opportunity this year in this offense with these weapons, with Kevin O'Connell running it, with the relationship they have, to go out and, and have maybe the best year you've had in the NFL. Welcome to Eagan, Minnesota for another off-season edition of the Minnesota Vikings podcast. My name is Gabe Henderson, and alongside me today, breaking down all things Vikings is Tatum Everett from Vikings.com and Jay Nelson. Eric Davidson is not in the room, but he is still a part of this podcast, bringing you guys the most clean and edited version of the show each and every week. Um, ben Gessling is also here, and he's to my right. And Ben, uh, we start off with some news that yep. has been reported via social media from Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero. Uh, As we are recording this episode, they have reported that the Vikings have officially released Dalvin Cook, four-time Pro Bowl running back. Um, I know, like I said, as we're recording this, there can be something that happens. Maybe there's a trade, but this is on social media right now. And just seeing that, when you hear this news of a guy who has rushed for 1,000 yards the past four seasons, how does this affect the future of this organization? Well, I mean, we'll we'll see how this shakes out. My understanding is there's still a chance of a trade. There's yeah. at the time we're talking about this, still a chance of a trade, still a chance of finding somebody that wants to take that contract before he hits the open market. So I, I think this is still a little bit of a work in progress. But this has been something that's been talked about from people I've talked to for quite a number of months, and and it's sort of been something that. You could see coming when Alexander Madison signs the deal that he does, and that deal includes guaranteed money. It includes probably discussions. I I don't know that Alexander Madison is signing that deal if he's not expecting there to be a little bit bigger role, and I think all indications are there will be a bigger role for him in this offense. So how does it affect things going forward? I think the big thing that you have to account for is the game-breaking ability that Dalvin Cook brings to the table. And we saw it in a lot of big moments last year in Miami. Uh, the Colts, the screen that tied the game to complete that comeback was Dalvin Cook. Uh, the the run that kind of got the comeback going at Buffalo was Dalvin Cook. Yep. Uh, th- there were a lot of moments last season in a lot of those close games where the big plays he made were awfully important to the final outcome. How do you replace that while getting some of that efficiency that Kevin O'Connell has talked about in the running game, wanting to be better on first and second down so that you're in second and six, third and four, rather than second and eight, third and seven, that sort of thing. That, I think, is the big piece, is how do you get the efficiency he's looking for while keeping the ability to, to have chunk plays in the run game? And and maybe that's Kene Wongwu and, and Ty Chandler can contribute some of that as well, but... That certainly is the piece of what Dalvin Cook brings to the table that I think is going to be the hardest to replace. This is a very different staff we've seen. They've made a lot of big decisions recently, a lot of faces that I think Vikings fans have been comfortable seeing. The most recent now being Dalvin Cook. Um, When you see it, you know, you don't want to call it a rebuild, but when you see what what's going on, the, the maneuvering on the cap and things like that. 
What do you take away from what this offseason has meant to the Vikings? Yeah, well, I think the big thing has been, and you've seen this from Kwesi Adolfo Mensa from the beginning, that there is not a fear of making decisions that could either be seen as risky in the moment or uh, look bold or, or make kind of a big splash. I mean, you saw it right away last year in the draft where it's, I'm going to trade twice in the division because I think this is the best thing for us. And I don't really get terribly bent out of shape by the idea that people might say, hey, that's not customary or, you know, we like the familiar faces. We like kind of having all these names that we know. And, and they have said, yeah, we get that. And these guys have done a lot for the organization. But I looking at it financially, this has been coming for a while. I, I think there's sort of been this financial reckoning that has just been a matter of time. And, and you saw Mike Zimmer and Rick Spielman probably facing that at times as well and trying to figure things out. And, and you're trying to keep a roster together and win and and all of that goes into the, the discussion. But I think there's certainly been a reality with this approach this offseason of we, we can't just kick the can down the road forever. At some point, you have to make some of these moves. And I think even the way they've done it has shown that, where it's not Adam Thielen gets a post-June 1st designation so you can push some of that cap money into the future. It's, no, let's just take it all now. Yeah. Let's deal with the dead money, and then let's have – flexibility going forward that this has not been a team that's had a ton of cap flexibility for an awfully long time and I think they are looking at it and saying let's give ourselves some options to really build this thing in the way that we want to do it going forward I think some of the moves they've made have been with that in mind do you feel like this is kind of indicative of there's the debate going on between what is the league going to turn into? Yeah. You know, the league itself has become more of an aerial assault yeah. given all of the rule changes and everything. Is this also kind of a, a shifting of, of the tides and everything within this organization possibly to go from a team that's traditionally had a strong running game yeah. to one that's now going to be more like the Rams were maybe a couple years ago where they were running back by committee but went heavy with Cooper Cup and everybody right. in, the, in the passing game? Yeah, so I was actually looking this up. Uh, a week or so ago, kind of when it looked like all of this was going to happen and you're starting to prepare things. This will be the first time, you know, barring some roster move, the first time since 2007, the Vikings have not begun the season with a running back on the roster who has made a Pro Bowl oh, wow. as a ball carrier before. C.J. Ham obviously has been to the Pro Bowl, but in terms of a, a running back that, you know, and a halfback, I guess, in the traditional sense of the yeah. position to go back to 1965, uh, <laughs> It'll be the first time since Chester Taylor, right? Right, yeah. right. And Adrian wow. Peterson's rookie year yeah. before he'd made a Pro Bowl. But you had Adrian, obviously, Latavius Murray had been to a Pro Bowl. He was the guy that they signed initially that kind of spelled the end of Adrian Peterson. And then Dalvin yep. Cook is taken later in that draft that same year. So you have Murray and then Cook starts making Pro Bowls. This will be the first time since then that you don't have that. And I think some of that shows the shift that you're talking about. And uh, some of it is just the way the position has gone. But yeah, there's no doubt this is going to look different than it has in a long time. And even in that Latavius Murray time, you had Jarek McKinnon as right. well. And there, yep. was, there wasn't like a solidified, this is the guy type yes. moment. So it just feels like given the way that things had gone with Kevin O'Connell before in, in LA, it just feels like maybe this is the beginning of that shift. But who knows? I mean, between uh, Madison and Chandler and everybody else that's in that running back room, like, you know, do you potentially foresee one of them really stepping up as the guy if it's not Alexander Madison? Or maybe it is. Well, I think Madison's certainly going to get the opportunities. I mean, Kevin O'Connell referred to it 
uh, I think a week or two ago about him showing three down potential and, and they've used him in third downs in the past saying this is a guy that can pass protect and I think they like some of the things he does the way he finishes runs kind of falling forward I mean we've seen that a lot and he's had moments where he's had to step in for Dalvin Cook when he's been injured that he's been awfully productive so I certainly think he's going to get the opportunities I don't know that it's going to be quite the same in terms of the number of touches but I, he'll get opportunities, I think, and then, and then Ty Chandler, I would expect, is going to be involved in this as well. I'm really, really curious to see what this means for Kene Wongwu because yeah. we have seen flashes where he's awfully dynamic with the ball in his hands. It's been more on special teams, but you kind of, every once in a while, get the little glimpse of, okay, what would happen if he's catching balls on screens or or uh, getting a chance to, to get outside the tackles a little bit. So I, I'm curious to see if that will be an element of it as well. I, I expect Madison probably takes the lead, but I it's I don't think it's going to be as much of the kind of 80-20, 90-10 thing that we've seen in the past. It's probably more he gets 60-70% of the looks, and then you see other guys with a little more defined role, I would expect. Yeah, that's, that's a, those are really good points. I mean, if you look at the previous Super Bowl winners, what, the Kansas City, for, Kansas City Chiefs last year, they're starting running back in the Super Bowl, Isaiah Pacheco. Right. The year before, it wasn't Cam Akers for the L.A. Rams. So you're starting to see this wave of backup running backs or running backs that don't really get the notoriety yep. start to get reps, which actually makes the team better that wants to throw the ball. So d- does that mean that's Kirk icing his shoulder before and after every <laughs> game this year? Because, I mean, I'm, I'm just assuming that he's, we're going to throw the ball 50 times per game now. Well, I, I think there's certainly a desire to throw the ball. I mean, there's no doubt about that. I, I think that 65% of the time throwing it is probably about the sweet spot, and that's kind of been where you've seen teams land. I think that's kind of what analytics had suggested is the right kind of mix. But there's also been investments in the run game, too, whether it's bringing back C.J. Ham, adding Josh Oliver as, a, as another tight end. I think there is a desire to say, let's line up at heavy personnel Let's run the ball effectively, but also give ourselves the option to say, you have to match us in base, and then all of a sudden Justin Jefferson can get looks on a linebacker. So I think there is going to be a commitment to the run game, at least in the sense that it's a counterpunch. It's something that can put Kirk Cousins in better down and distances so that you're not perhaps under quite as much pressure on third down. And it's also something I think they want to use to manipulate matchups where you can get favorable looks for Justin Jefferson, knowing that everybody comes into every week saying our number one job is to stop Justin Jefferson. So if you can use everything else that's available to you to uh, kind of mitigate some of those things, I think they'll try to do it. As far as like Dalvin Cook's ability to be a threat in the open, being able to catch the ball, using his hands that way, where do you see them going and maybe in that direction? I feel like there really hasn't been in that room right now yeah. a proven pass catching ability. I mean, CJ Ham might be the yeah, best one yeah. out of those guys that we've seen. Yeah, you're right. I mean, and and CJ was a ball carrying running back in college. I mean, the, the idea that he was, you know, born with a neck roll yeah, in his crib right. is, is not uh, probably quite the case. Shout out Matthew Collar, lover of neck roll fullbacks. <laughs> no um, pun in, no pun intended there. Yes, Matthew yes. Collar. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That, okay. There you go. Maybe that's why he likes neck rolls <laughs> so much. It's all part of the brand. Um, <laughs> no, I mean CJ has done that, and I think we've seen flashes of that at times. I I would expect that you're going to see some of these backs try to to show that part of their game more. And I, I kind of go back to Kene in that sense of, of what does he bring to it when you can possibly get him out in space? Because 
he's awfully dynamic just in terms of speed and how much does the elusiveness kind of play into that too. But you have a guy like that with the straight line speed that he has, I would expect that if you can find ways to get him involved, they're going to try to do that as much as they can. I also think Alexander Madison does add a value when it comes to pass catching yeah, too. I'm right. just I'm just thinking right. about that that London Saints game. game. Yeah, yep. that was exactly. Yeah, we, we come up with two different examples there. <laughs> so I mean, there there's um I think it just puts more pressure on that room to yeah. be able to uh, get on the jugs machine after practice. So that that is um a, a challenge accepted, I'm sure, by this running back room is. And I think Tatum brought up a great question. Like that is a huge void. Like yeah. Alvin Cook could catch the ball. So. Yeah, let's go to that Jux machine after practice and get those reps up to kind of be more, uh, I guess, confident when it comes to being and putting those situations on game day. So if the team would look at him as a home run hitter in big spots and everything, yeah. who would you kind of uh, start looking at on this roster currently as somebody that could potentially turn into that home run hitter to replace him? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep coming back to Kene Wongu, but I, I think that's the obvious fit for that in the sense that he has done it on special teams, and we've seen it happen where he can break tackles, he can get in the open field, he can make things happen as a kick returner. It's a little bit different, obviously, but I think if you can get to the point where you get him to the second level, there's no doubt that that can be an option. I think we saw a little bit of that from Ty Chandler, and I'm curious to see Dwayne McBride in that sense as well. That's a guy that has a lot of uh, dynamic ability to his game as well, and you, you got to see it. You got to see him be healthy and and get enough reps in training camp to kind of show what he can do. But I think Wong Wu and uh, and Dwayne McBride are kind of the obvious fits there. You know, and that's one of the things we've actually talked about here for a couple of weeks as well is the idea of with the kickoff rules changing and everything else. Like, how is that going to affect Kane? And yeah, so, yeah. if if they're Something like that is potentially going to take the ball out of his hands a little bit more. Right. You would assume, but then you start to think about defenses game planning when you see him in the backfield. It's like, oh, you know, he's going to get the ball if he's not the primary guy. I'm just really curious to see if it turns into running back by committee or if, if it's going to be the the spot duty and stuff like that yeah. for guys like him. But I, I feel like, you know, we've talked about also the uh, coaches and everybody saying, they really want this team to turn into a speed type team and a guy like that who's got the track speed that he does it's like you got to get him on the field and get the ball in his hands yeah i mean it's it's uh you look with him you look at jalen naylor getting more opportunities this year i mean if you're going to play home games on turf it makes sense to have guys that can burn and you are getting to a point now where you you play in in Detroit every year. If the Bears at some point you know put a new stadium up with turf, you're playing more and more games in climate controlled settings every year. And there's Atlanta this year. You figure Charlotte probably yeah, October, Vegas, yeah. yeah, Charlotte early October. There's more games where you're on fast tracks. And I think that stuff adds up. There's only one real cold weather potential game at this point right. on the schedule, which is Cincy in December. Yes. Green Otherwise, everything too. else. Yeah. Watch, every, watch uh, us get like 10 cold games just because <laughs> you said that. You're welcome. Don't sleep on Denver in <laughs> November, right. I true, guess. True. But, yeah, but you're right. It's not Green Bay, Chicago yes. to end right. the season like it was last year. Um, I mean, since we're on the subject of talking about guys that have not been at OTAs, uh, Daniil Hunter is another yep. guy that has not been at OTAs. Uh, who, who knows why? I know there's a lot of rumors and speculations, but how do you see the Vikings addressing that situation now with now with this relieved cap space? Well, yeah, I think there's opportunities to get something done there. I, I think they have a desire to do it, at least from from my sense of things, is that I, there's interest on their behalf of getting something done. It's just a matter of 
can everybody kind of come to terms and yeah. can everybody find the right number that makes everybody happy? So I think that is is certainly something that will have to happen if he's going to be here. And I, I think everybody's fairly eyes open about that and and you figure you try to figure it out. But if he's not here, that creates a big void, obviously, because he and Zedaria Smith combined for you know 20 sacks last year. And if you take that out, somebody has to replace that. And Marcus Davenport's the obvious solution there. And then you hope that DJ Wanham, you hope that Patrick Jones take on bigger roles. I, I think that's the obvious fit. And and you probably maybe try to find another edge rusher or somebody that can can step into a little bit of a role going forward if Daniil Hunter and both Daniil Hunter and Zedaria Smith are not here. I, I think there's still chances to get something worked out with Daniil Hunter. But if he's not here, there's no doubt that you have to recreate things. The thing I would be interested to see as well, though, is Brian Flores is going to bring a lot of different looks. Most of Daniil Hunter's career here has been with defensive coordinators that are generally on the lighter side in terms of how much they blitz. And Donatel certainly was. Mike Zimmer was not a heavy volume blitzer. It was, I'm going to have looks that put you on your heels, but I'm not going to blitz 35, 40% 40 of the time. That has not been Mike Zimmer's MO. At least it wasn't when he was here. It's more in the 20s. So a lot of the time you're rushing four and counting on those guys to get home. There can be different ways of doing this and trying to create pressure either by showing it at the line or bringing guys from different spots. I think trying to get quarterbacks off their spot that way is a big part of what Brian Flores is going to want to do. So do you need the guys that are 12, 13 sack guys every year? Nobody's going to turn that down. I mean, (laughs) there's no doubt that everybody wants those guys, and that's a really, really important spot in the NFL. But I, I think this system will look to manufacture pressure a little differently than we've seen it for quite a long time here. I mean, we talk about identity shifts, hmm. I think, defensively. I mean, heck, you go back to Leslie Frazier in cover two stuff, that was not a heavy blitzing team either. So it is going to look very, very different on that side of the ball from anything we've seen with this team in a really long time. And I'm curious to see as well what that means for where pressures come from, who gets them, how all of this is constructed. With that in mind, is there someone you think is ready to take that leap? And that could really be maybe someone that Flores is just so excited to get his hands on. Well, I mean, Patrick Jones is interesting to me. I I think we saw flashes of it at the end of last season where he had some nice moments. I, I think he's been a guy that has taken on the challenge of trying to develop counter moves and develop ways, different ways to beat tackles. I I think that's certainly still something he's trying to get better at, but I I thought we saw flashes at the end of last season that would make you think he can do a little bit more. I mean, that would be the guy I'd probably keep my eye on first. Um, You know, there's whether it's Dean Lowry playing a little bit bigger role defensively than he did at the end of his career in green Bay, whether it's some of the young guys like Jaqueline Roy. I mean, you have, some pieces there that I think they'll try to get more out of. And and it's hard to know that that's going to turn into a guy that's getting eight or ten sacks. Maybe it's five or six players that get four or five and you recreate it that way. I mean, that, that can be effective as well. There's certainly going to be a need for people to step up as a pass rusher, especially in the uh, the event that Daniil Hunter is not here. But um, you know that can probably look a few different ways, I would think. One thing that Flores is 
defenses have been known for as well as the active play of their linebackers and looking at guys like Asamoah, who everyone assumes is going to have to take that next step. Looking at how important that's going to be, kind of looking at that group in general, is there anything that stands out to you as far as what you want to see, whether it's the mini camp side here or even training camp coming up to really feel like those guys have really solidified in, in a Flores defense? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Asamoah. I, I think that's a guy that fits really well in this scheme when you're talking about linebackers that can fly around and linebackers that can cover a lot of space sideline to sideline. I, I think you'll see those players be asked to do a fair amount of that, especially if you are in spots where you're blitzing five and you have you know the defensive backs in coverage and then maybe you've got a dime linebacker. Maybe that's Brian Flores, maybe, or Brian Flores, Brian Asamoah. <laughs> maybe that's Josh Metellus in spots. We've yeah. seen some looks like that. I, I'm curious to see how some of the safeties maybe come in and, and add to that. But whoever it is, I think that intermediate coverage zone, that, that became a problem at the end of last season where – you had teams throwing over the middle of the field quite a bit. So can Brian Asamoah do that? Can Jordan Hicks kind of be reinvigorated by this scheme? How do the safeties play into it? If we see more kind of three safety looks where you have safeties doing different things, I think that part of it, I'm very curious to see how all of that plays out because that's certainly a need based on some of the, the areas where we saw especially like in the playoff game where the Giants kind of had their way over the middle of the field and and towards the end of the season especially. But I'm sure there's been a lot of time spent up in those defensive meeting rooms about how do we kind of lock this area of the field down and make it less of an open space for quarterbacks to feast on. You know what I just learned like two days ago? What? Brian Asamoah's last name is pronounced Asamoah. Yeah, like Namdi Asamoah, the old – Eagles corner. We were. I, I recorded a Viking circle with him, and I was like Brian Asamoah. He was like, actually, my name is pronounced Asamoah, yeah. but being in America, the dictation of the word, people kind of so like I was kind of thrown back. But one of BA's best friends is yeah. Lewis Lewisine. Yeah, and Lewisine is probably the biggest, I guess, X factor in my opinion yeah. because you can put him anywhere on the field mm-hmm. and kind of just tell him to go play football. But for you, how do you see him fitting into this Brian Flores defense? Yeah, he's an interesting one, too. Andrew Kramer, my colleague at the Star Tribune, was talking to Durante Jones about Lewis the other day, and and he talked a lot about, hey, he's he needs to learn the scheme. Obviously, it's a new scheme for him. Didn't get a lot of time last year to play in the defense because of the injury in London. So that you know that's kind of out of everybody's control at this point. But it's trying to teach the fundamentals to the point where he can come in and, and play a bigger role, but he can run in terms of, you know, just in terms of speed. He brings as much as anybody in the defensive backfield, certainly in that safety group on this roster. So if he can get acclimated with the basics of the scheme and, and the fundamentals so that he's playing quickly out there and doesn't have to stop and think, that's where you can really turn that speed loose. I, I'm very curious to see that piece of it as well because. We've seen this be a scheme where safeties have opportunities to play a little bit more of a role. You're going to see more dime packages. You're going to see probably more three safety looks. It's not the days of its nickel or its base, which we've seen a lot of, and you're not seeing a third safety on the field very often. I, I think that group in general will have more opportunities to carve out roles. And, and Lewis seen if he can come along and show he's healthy, show he's got everything down, I think is going to get opportunities to do that in time. So OTA is wrapping up this week, mandatory minicamp next week, yep. a little bit of a break. Yes. Then we'll 
the gauntlet starts. You'll yep. be, you know, on the beat for months and months uh, beginning in July. Um, I feel like there are a lot of questions, maybe more so this year than ever because of all of the new names that you're talking about, all these right. players you're excited to see. Just, you know, canceling out those those positions we've just talked about, what other position battle intrigues you the most? I am curious to see kind of how things shake out, you know, probably a little bit at the uh, at the tight end spot. Mm-hmm. I, I'm I'm curious to see if Josh Oliver Josh Oliver has a bigger role in this offense because you know he kind of talked about it when he came in here in the sense that everybody thinks of me as a blocking tight end because that's how the Ravens used me. Lamar Jackson is there, but I I kind of get the sense he could play a little bit bigger role in the passing game, knowing that they may try to use 12 personnel or even 22 personnel to dictate some looks. So he gets opportunities as a secondary target. Kirk Cousins has liked throwing to tight ends over the course of his career. I mean, his better days in Washington were with Jordan Reed, Vernon Davis, Davis, a lot of those two tight end sets. You could recreate some of those things with Josh Oliver and TJ Hawkinson. And TJ Hawkinson having another year in this scheme, I think, has a a great opportunity to have a big year as well. So I'm kind of curious to see how that group is used. It's not a position battle so much because we know who those starters are going to be, but I'm curious the role that they carve out for themselves in the context of the offense because I think that's, you know, we talk a lot about what happens at receiver. Is Jordan Addison the number two? Is KJ Osborne in for a big year? How do they replace Adam Thielen as a complimentary threat? I think the tight end piece of this is going to be really interesting to watch as well. When it comes to the kind of field general in the offense anyways with Kirk, you know, yeah. with given his contract situation, everything going into the season, and like we have been talking about all of the weapons that are around him, what needs to happen for Kirk this season to help offensively kind of shift us to whatever this new paradigm is going to be for this offense? Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of it is what you've seen them do in the offseason of trying to create support for him, whether it's being in sh- in shorter down and distances more often, which I think the hope is that mitigates some of the pressure where defenses can't pin their ears back and Kirk doesn't have to hold the ball quite as long to get something open. I think it's probably having a group of receivers that can move around a little bit more and maybe be a little more dynamic after the catch than what he's had in the past. I think the hope is that the offensive line will continue to, continue to get better, uh, especially as Christian Derrissaw turns into one of the better left tackles in the league. I think that's every expectation is he's on that trajectory. So if Kirk is able to sit back and make plays either by getting the ball out of his hands quickly or with a little bit better, a little bit cleaner pocket than perhaps he's had in the past, I think a lot of those things will help. And and this is the first time in, I think it's back to like 2016 or 2017 that he's had the same play caller two years in a row. And I know Kevin O'Connell has talked about that a lot. I know Kirk has talked about that a lot where there's, there's, I think, genuine excitement to say, hey, even if your contract situation is up for debate and up for discussion in the future, you have a great opportunity this year in this offense with these weapons, with Kevin O'Connell running it, with the relationship they have, with the familiarity that Kirk Cousins has in this scheme to go out and, and have maybe the best year you've had in the NFL, which is a good thing for, for Kirk Cousins, it's a good thing for the Vikings in the sense that it probably means it's been a successful year on the field, and then you figure out the rest of it later. I, I think no matter what happens after this year, that is a good thing for him. And I, my sense has been that he's embraced that part of it and has said, you know what, 
we'll let things figure get figured out as they go. And he's no stranger to playing in contract years. But I, I think if he's able to embrace that part of things, I think he's set up for a strong year. I want to get your thoughts on this. Bleacher Report just ranked the Vikings signing Byron Murphy Jr. as the fifth best offseason acquisition hmm. this this summer. Okay. So yeah. when, when you hear that, what comes to mind? Because that's behind you know the Bears going up to the number one overall pick. Uh, yeah. We'll trade the number one overall pick. Yep. Um, in front of that, it's Javon Hargrave to the 49ers. Yeah. And then there's a few other, like Aaron Rodgers. Like, but but <laughs> yeah. Byron Murphy, top five? Like, is, is it that big of a signing for the Vikings? That's, that's interesting. I, I, I mean, it's just, it's kind of one of those lower profile things because the contract's not that big and, and you don't look at that one as something that grabbed a ton of headlines. But they needed a corner and they needed somebody that can play in this scheme. I, I think for as effective as Patrick Peterson was last year, by his own admission, the Ed Donatel scheme was better for him at this stage of his career than some of the stuff he had done, which is more like what Brian Flores will probably do, where it's man coverage. You need a guy that can run across the field. I think Byron Murphy gives the Vikings more of that, and he's going to get every opportunity to show it because he's the most experienced corner in that room. Mm-hmm. Has to show he can stay healthy, but I think he's going to get opportunities to to have a big year in this scheme. It, it certainly met a big need. Certainly a type of player that they knew they needed to go get. And you you kind of wait and see what happens with a Caleb Evans, with Andrew Booth. Uh, you know, that group needs to kind of grow behind Byron Murphy. But if he can come back, if he can come in and be, you know, C B one, I think it it's a, it's certainly a big need filled there. Ben, are you a big Instagram guy? Not terribly. I uh my Instagram I have one. It's it's fairly dormant. I, I spend enough time on Twitter that I, I don't like to spend a ton of extra time on social yourself. media. Yeah, I probably should spend more time on Instagram than I do. But Well, if you're like me and you follow Ed Ingram, yeah. he's <laughs> been updating us. I mean, I've been I've been, you know, watching it for maybe a little over 15 hours now. Yeah. I haven't seen anything recently. But um I've been watching his stories because he uh, has been posting about, maybe I should do Snapchat. I don't do the Snapchat. I draw the line yeah. somewhere, you know? I'm too old for Snapchat. I, I just can't do it anymore. I, and it looked like he posted a Snap video first. Okay. But I feel like everything goes to Twitter. Yeah, it's like, fine. It'll get there. Eventually. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't mean you haven't me. seen it. Doesn't yeah. mean you haven't seen it. But 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 Kirk has taken the, the offensive line on a, on a private plane. Yes. On a trip. Yep. And they did, he did, you know, the question was, and Gabe, Gabe wrote it in here, think, you know, thankful, like, where where are they going? Where are they taking him? And it looked like they're in California, but that's just my assumption after is that, seeing. Is that bad answers only? I don't know. I mean, this is, if you look at this beach photo. Yeah, that's, yeah it could that's, be Minnesota. This is that's, not, this is not the Gulf. This is not the Atlantic. This is, this is the Pacific. There's in a lot my, of sand dunes opinion. in West Michigan. I don't, I don't think, I don't, beach. I don't think this is Holland, Michigan. <laughs> no, no. I mean, yeah, the, it's probably not. That's, that would probably not be the, the, uh, the fit, but there, there are sand dunes and, and beaches pretty close to Kirk's that's, that's true. place in, in you know, Holland. And I, and I do, I will say like, it, it's great to see things like this though. Yeah. Like I, I like a peek behind the curtain. Sure. You know, I, you know, you, you, they, they're, they have their free time, let them do what they want to do. And yeah. it's nice to see them all spending time together. And, and I don't know if this has been something that Kirk, Maybe it's not been publicized. Sure. It's really done before, but but obviously, to me, it only means good things. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you have seen a shift with him in the last year. I mean, we heck, we all <laughs> Instagram <laughs> gave us a, a window into the shifts around the time of the Washington game last year. I think that's when Kirk O'Chains made his debut. There has been 
a noticeable shift in the way he has kind of, you know, leaned into whether it's the leadership role or kind of just the dad swag thing. <laughs> dad, that's like a way of putting yeah, it. Yeah, well, I, you know, it, I like it, it. It, it empowers the rest of us that that's the only play we have too. <laughs> so I, I, I'm all for it. Um, I, I think he has felt probably a little more emboldened to just say, I'm going to be myself. And when you have Kevin O'Connell talking as much as he does about Kirk as the leader of our team, there is a message to, to Kirk there about you have the freedom, you have the green light to go shape this thing how you want to do it. And I, I think some of these things of you know spending time with guys off the field saying, let me take my guys to whatever beach place we went to. <laughs> right. um, I, I think there's a little bit of that coming from the fact that he just feels a little more emboldened, a little more free to kind of sh- help shape this thing the way he wants to do it. He still had his shirt tucked in. Well, on a private plane. Yeah. Hashtag dad swag. Exactly. Yes. It's like private plane, but still on brand. And he's like, you guys sit up in the front. In you guys can sit <laughs> right. up in the front. So we got couches for the big guys in the front. More okay. so, I think it was like Brian O'Neill to ask, like, do you have can tables? Can I sit by the table? <laughs> right. He's like, can I sit in the seat so I can eat on the table? <laughs> yeah. It's like like asking a- Kirk. Dad, permission, lie. like, yeah. hey, Dad, can I sit here, please? <laughs> no food on the couch. Such, yeah, exactly. a Such a lineman. I'm also curious, too, because, you know, thinking about the peak behind the curtain with Netflix and quarterback and everything that's yeah. also coming out mm-hmm. this summer, I I really am curious to see kind of what they got a hold of as far as footage-wise. Yeah. You know, those kind of situations, and maybe it is something where just the comfort level of him knowing, like, he has a coach that supports what he does, understands kind of the role of what he, he has to do, and has given him that support is kind of giving him this ability to feel more comfortable and who knows how that's going to pay off on the field but yeah. it just feels like locker room wise last year and, and going in this offseason like everything just feels really loosey-goosey yeah I, I think with him too I mean you hit on something there that this connection of trust off the field and what he's asked to do on the field and I, I think there is from the little bit I've heard that that Netflix documentary is going to give us a fair window into kind of what goes into this job. And I wrote about at the end of last season, just all of the things that are on his plate pre-snap, whether it's in changing protections, just the the verbiage he has to get out that has to go from Kevin O'Connell to Kirk Cousins and to Kirk Cousins to the rest of the group in 40 seconds, especially when you're calling two plays in the huddle sometimes and you're have to, having to can from one to the other. And, and West Coast offenses, which this is, have a lot of verbiage. So there is a lot on his plate even before the ball is snapped, the stuff that we don't really pay attention to on TV because that's when the announcers are talking and, and you're not really privy to that in in a way that would help you appreciate that part of the job. But that is a big part of this offense. There is a lot more on his plate from a snap-to-snap basis. It's not just, can I rip it you know, 30 yards on a dime when there's a defender hanging over the top of Justin Jefferson to fit it in a, in a tight spot. That is a big part of the job. But basically being the the CEO of the offense on the field, being that extension of Kevin O'Connell is a really, really important part of playing quarterback in this offense. And I think that part of what Kirk does is something O'Connell appreciates. And that's probably something he has wanted to lean into, knowing that you have a veteran quarterback that is as cerebral and as well-studied and as detailed as Kirk Cousins is. You support the rest of it because – it's only a good thing if he's able to play with some confidence and run the whole thing in the way that he's been able to do it. I think that's a big part of the job. 
Let's wrap things up with this. The 2024 College Football Hall of Fame ballot is out, and there are several Vikings players that yeah. are on that list, including Randy Moss, Steve Hutchinson, uh, Jim Klein, Saucer, Toby Gerhardt, and, and yeah, more. Yeah, an awfully decorated college right, career. for sure. Stanford guy. But one thing that really stood out to me is Randy Moss and Steve Hutchinson already inducted into the Pro Football yeah. Hall of Fame. They're now finally getting inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. That, that's kind of weird. Like That is kind of weird. I mean, College Football Hall of Fame has been around since 1951. Yeah. So, uh, just when, when you look at just those guys, just collegiate careers. I mean, when when the kid of you comes out, because yeah. we were a lot younger yep. when those guys were playing. Yep. Like, what are, what are some memories that come to mind? Well, I mean, Steve Hutchinson it, is kind of the one that comes to mind the most. Just having you know, you watch Big Ten football. I mean, growing up around here, you watch Big Ten football every Saturday, and those Michigan teams with you know, they just roll those linemen out off the assembly line every year. It's those big road grader type linemen that Steve Hutchinson was. That I mean, Michigan has cranked through those guys, and you just—I remember watching those guys every Saturday with Keith Jackson usually calling games from the Big House or Ohio Stadium or you know whatever it would happen to be. So certainly a lot of memories of watching Steve Hutchinson, Randy Moss. You kind of knew about him. I mean, obviously playing at Marshall, it was not on TV quite as much, but there was there was all this talk about this kid from Marshall that's tearing it up, (laughs) and what could he do in the NFL? And really, it's when he gets to the Vikings that I remember. Being a kid, seeing it, and you first get that sense of, holy cow, this guy is going to change the entire game. But obviously, the things he did at Marshall and and the things, the numbers he put up there were a, a great window world. into what it was going to what was going to happen. It, it is interesting that, especially in the case of Randy Moss, where it's first ballot Hall of Fame, that they go into the NFL Hall of Fame before the College <laughs> Football Hall of Fame because neither one of them had you know, questionable college careers to be worthy of that honor. So, yeah, that that is, the timing there is interesting. But, I, I you know, all's well that ends well, I guess. It, it's interesting. I, I kind of get it for him, just for the sheer fact that, like, college football back then was just such a different animal. Yeah. It wasn't, like, the type of publicity. You didn't have the yeah. ESPN Plus channels, like you said. It's like so much of those campaigns and those reputations were built upon – word of mouth and what yeah. you could watch or read in the papers. And now you just get on Twitter and you can see some guy at a Division three school, you know, right. take take a, a kickoff back, yep. 100 yards, and then they're like, whoa, what, you know, this guy's got something. And so it's just a, it, it, it almost makes more sense to me sure. that that had happened that way. But um, but for, still really. For both of those guys? Um, no, maybe just Randy for gotcha. me. Yeah, because like you said, I mean, Michigan was is a household name. No, I, w- I would say more for Randy. Yeah. yeah. It certainly gives more options for players outside of those kind of blue blood teams that were on yeah. TV all the time to to make a name for themselves. As a kid who was an avid Michigan watcher, yeah. the, the Hutch deal was a big deal because he grew up in Florida and everyone assumed those were the Miami, Florida State, yeah. Florida teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they assumed like this guy is going to stay in one of these powerhouse teams. And then he decides to go to the Big Ten and play for Michigan. And everyone's like, they got another one, you know, yeah. kind of a thing for him. <laughs> the other thing with Randy to think about was given all of the kind of controversy that happened when he got to college. Yeah. Think what Randy Moss would have been if he was playing at Florida State oh when he was gosh. with Bobby oh, Bowden yeah. initially. Yeah. So like Crazy. those two guys, same kind of thing. Like, you know, Steve was at a high, high profile place. Randy had to kind of uh, jump in there with Pennington and really kind of make a name for himself, given the, all the controversy that was happening. It makes more sense with Client Saucer being kind of the blue collar guy yeah. from up in North Dakota kind of a thing. And then Toby Gerhardt, I mean, yeah, he was he was an absolute stud at Stanford Unreal. when he was playing. So as a running back. finalist, wasn't yeah. he? Yes, he was. And so that was the other thing. Like when we got Toby Gerhardt here in Minnesota, we're like, wait, we got, you know, Gerhardt. And then you're just kind of looking at, 
making those guys, especially at those skill positions, making that leap from college where he was so dominant to the NFL where everyone is as fast as they are in defense. Toby was another guy that kind of had issues with injuries and stuff yeah. at the time as yep. well. But um, there's no denying that any of these guys that are on this list currently, you know, made their mark in college. It just was a little bit different than it was in the pros. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's it certainly has uh, it, kind of different paths for all three of those yeah. guys in one way or the other. You you wonder like what are the numbers behind like if you are a guy that is going to be a Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. NFL like how. When did you get into the college one? Or did yeah. you? You know, like yeah. maybe you found, I don't know how, what the stats are, but that would be a really interesting, like, study, yeah. I guess you could say. Like Tom Brady, for yeah. example. I mean, Tom Brady won a lot at Michigan, yeah. but sure. they were also trying to give Drew Henson that job yes. for re- a lot yes. of his time there. I'm so. reading it now, and I think you have to be a, a, a All-American, a first-team All-American in college, like unanimous. Like, that's like the first. Okay. okay. So Brady may not go into yeah. the College Football Hall of Fame. Which is How nice. about that? Yeah. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, too. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. But I don't know, was Kirk Cousins? No, he wasn't All-American. I but don't I, think so. I mean, that's not first team. Yeah. But. But, but that's the thing. Think about you know the guys that have gone in that you are. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Vince Young, yeah. uh, Reggie Bush, those kind of guys that were like the the alpha of the alphas and just made a absolute killing on a Heisman run through through their college yeah. career. Matt Leiner. Everyone, yeah, yeah, everyone's like, so like, oh, yeah, those guys make total sense. And then you look at the NFL side and you're just like, wait, how are these guys who were yeah. just so prolific in the pros not in the College Hall of Fame? Well, I suppose it makes sense in, just in the, the fact that you have so many of these guys that make it to the NFL based on the college careers and then don't always pan out in the sure. NFL. It is, is a little For bit sure. different game. So, For yeah, sure. you're going to have guys. I mean, Tim Tebow is an example yes. of this. You're going to college football Hall of Fame, no doubt. NFL, no. <laughs> I saw the funniest meme the other day. And it was like Tim Tebow and Eli Manning in front of like, uh, I think it was Florida Stadium because it looked like it was orange. Okay. And he's Eli's in like dad shorts with his like frat daddy belt yeah. and his like Full polo Eli. tucked in with Full his dad <laughs> sneakers. Yeah. Just looking like Eli. And then there's Tim Tebow. He's like jacked with this like tight tee and workout <laughs> shorts on. And like it said like one guy's won two Super Bowls and the other guy's, uh, I forgot yeah. what it was. Yeah. And it was like the greatest you would, college football player of all Yeah, time. you would like flip it basically because yeah. it was like you, this is not what you would expect. Yeah. It's great. I yeah. loved it. Yeah, let alone uh, Eli beating the Patriots twice yeah, right. You know, right. during that era. Speaking of Tom Brady. Yeah, yeah, really. Man, just just great stuff. Um, Hopefully all those Vi- former Vikings get inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Just uh, It's not only good for their resume, but it also makes the organization look good. But just speaking of the organization, there's, there's some really good articles on Vikings.com right now. Craig's three observations from OTAs. He'll have more on mandatory minicamp, and then Lindsey Young did a really good article. She interviewed Wes Phillips, Vikings offensive coordinator, and the article was explaining, Wes Phillips explaining his year two steps for this offense. So head on over to Vikings.com to go check out those articles. There's also Tatum Everett's, Marcus Davenport 101, as well as Vikings Circle and Chopping It Up. And um, it leads me to asking you, Ben, what are some articles or things that you have on the, the horizon for Vikings fans or just... The Star Tribune fans yeah. for them to see. Yeah, I mean, we're you know, we'll have kind of wall to wall coverage of mini camp here next week, and you know, daily coverage a couple of things every day, and then kind of looking at some of the moves that have happened and, and may still happen. That will kind of preview mini camp with looking at some of the effects of that and, and some of the players that this creates opportunities for. Kind of like what we've been talking about. So kind of looking ahead to some of those things, and then uh, yeah, as we get towards the season, obviously that's what kind of when we go into full 
preview mode in terms of you know, just rolling out a lot of bigger features with with deeper dives into, into player profiles and that kind of stuff. We'll do some of that in training camp, and then obviously as we get towards the season, that that week before the season is really when we kind of crank it full speed in terms of some of the profiles and, and different things that we do. So, yeah, there'll be there'll be plenty this week, and then you know we we all kind of take our break, and then we'll be. Ready to roll with our with our crew. Uh, Unless they make some around. moves and, yeah. and keep you busy during your break. I close circuit, Quasi. <laughs> if you're listening to this, if you can get those done uh, before sooner my vacation, than later, especially not. I'm running Grandma's Marathon a week from Saturday, so if we can nice. be quiet then, okay, uh, that would be we'll pass it along. That'd be appreciated. <laughs> he, he listens every week, so yes. he'll, he'll Are you a big this. marathon runner? I this will be my first one in 14 years, oh my but I, I'm a big runner. I'm, That's awesome. I coach high school track and cross country, so I spend a lot of time running shorter stuff. But this yeah. will be the first one in in quite a while. Wow! So. How do you pre- how do you prepare? Like, what have you been doing? You run a lot. You. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's, that's the biggest thing. You run a lot, and uh, but you never run twenty six miles leading up to the no. Marathon, the right? longest I've gone is twenty two ahead of time. Okay. So there is that thing of okay, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. But <laughs> yeah. I mean, you work on weights and core and all that stuff, and and just trying to at this point, it's just trying to keep your body healthy and hope that you don't you know step on. Uh, step off a curve the wrong that that's the thing honestly really? for me it's just like as you get so close to it it's like man if i stub my toe the wrong way yeah it's you you do all of this training it kind of makes you a little more sympathetic to olympic athletes that prepare for four years for yeah. one for one thing moment yeah. mm-hmm. it's just like man any any little thing could could go wrong so you're just kind of saying let's you know just pray you stay healthy and and you're fresh getting ready to go and Kind of let it all let it all rip uh, next Saturday, as long as you're feeling good on the starting line. Well, good luck. I think Thank we got you. a couple of VN employees running in that yeah. last marathon. Yeah, it's also. a great race. So, so good luck to you. Thanks. Good luck to everyone involved. Thank yes. you for joining us yeah, today, thanks, ben. ben. Thanks for having me. It's always a lot of fun. For Ben, Tatum, and Jay, my name is Gabe Henderson. We'll talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.